mean, you've been putting in work for so long. Putting in a lot of work. What's going on, guys? Welcome to a very special episode of Putting in Work, the interview podcast on the 8-Bit Collective, of course, powered by Audio-Technica. I am not John Peck, believe it or not. You might have guessed from the slightly higher voice. Uh, my name is Matt Tilby. I am the host of One Perfect Game, a podcast that you can find on iTunes or at soundcloud.com slash Game. And as a part of a fun project started by the AGPN, the Australasian Gaming Podcast Network, uh, we're mixing it up. We're trading places. I've been handed the keys to the kingdom for this week, while Jono gets to talk games with a very special guest, which you can follow at OPGpod on Twitter. But we must get into it and introduce you to our guest this week, Mr. Ryan Hunter. Ryan is someone I've known for a surprisingly long time, to be honest. Um, I first got in contact with him when he lived in New York, creating videos in a sketch comedy group called Poik Pack. Uh, The origins of that name will become apparent in the interview. But the group sort of found success in what was essentially a time of growth for YouTube, garnering over 65 million views on a video called Mario Game Over, uh, an idea that Ryan had when he was a teenager. Uh, From there, more opportunities followed, and the team found new avenues to flex that creative muscle, I guess. Ryan himself would go on to create a coloring book for grown-ups called Coloring for Grown-ups, and also work at The Onion as well before heading to Los Angeles where he'd find directorial success um, on a short series called Mr. Student Body President starring Adventure Time's Jeremy Sharder, which is very cool. We talked everything in between, including the struggle it takes to get to that point, and we had a few technical hiccups in the middle, SD cards filling up and Audacity recordings finishing, uh, but we made it work. So without further ado, this is Matt Tilby filling in for John Peck with my special guest, Ryan Hunter. Enjoy the show. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. We have been friends for quite a while it seems but we haven't really had the chance to chat up until now it's been a, yeah. a very interesting relationship right spanning years yeah it's it's been a very very long time for those who don't know what you do what is it you are currently involved in at the moment i'm a, a film I, th- I think first off uh I'm, i guess i'm a writer director first and occasionally i illustrate or animate i act very rarely uh, yeah, that's pretty much it, I guess. So you're a bit of a jack of all trades, it seems. Yeah, I think like a lot of um, sort of filmmakers who came out of like YouTube, the early YouTube days, uh, you kind of were doing it all on your own. So I think a lot of people mm. sort of learned to wear every hat. Yeah. I just had a necessity. Is it is it just purely because of like the sort of job security that you were finding or you wanted to just put your, your your hand in different sort of pots just so that you could sort of try everything and see what sort of fit for you? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I think I, I remember being in high school and, you know, having an idea and thinking, oh, this would be funny if I wrote it. And then I wrote it and then I thought, well, no one's going to direct this unless I direct it. And so mm. from there you're directing, you're shooting, and then – you know, no one's going to edit it unless you edit it. So I think it started with just having an idea and wanting to write it. And then the end game just naturally somehow led to me doing, you know, (laughs) visual learning to do visual effects and I'm learning after effects and doing animation and all these things just in service of whatever that first idea was. 
Uh, I don't know if that makes yeah. sense as a progression, but to me, that's kind of how it played out. No, that's that's definitely good. I should point out for for, for those of you listening, um, before we really dive deep into Ryan's sort of, I guess, history and how he came to be in this this point at the moment, I did want to talk about your newfound love of, um, I guess, competitive axe throwing. Um, <laughs> Because if if you've been following this man, ladies and gentlemen, on his Instagram at Rye Hunt, yeah, R Y H U N T, it's this most unique, quite possibly concerning, um, yeah, look at this man's newfound love of throwing an axe. Yeah, a not, lot of I mean, my friends were con- they, a lot of them were concerned. A lot well, of my friends. <laughs> I think they have good right to be, Ryan. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because the, the first, because you've, you've saved a couple of videos on your Instagram account. And the first sort of series of videos is, is you in this very nice, you know, button up shirt, jeans, and some, you know, nice dress shoes. Yes. Constantly throwing this huge axe at a, at a target. Like, how does, how does this come about? And how does this become the sort of hobby of choice for an actor, director, so on? Well,. I had remember I remember seeing something on Instagram uh, from this place in Las Vegas called Axe Monkeys, which is a horrible pun, I guess, um, <laughs> uh, on ass monkeys. I, I guess um, I don't know, but I filed it away in my brain. And then about a year ago, I found myself. I was in Las Vegas. A, a college roommate of mine had beat cancer. And so a bunch of us got together in Vegas just to celebrate kind of and uh, because he was officially in the clear. And uh, I had some time to kill on the way to the airport. And this place is right next to the airport. So before I flew back to uh, Los Angeles, I stopped at Axe Monkeys and and I gave it a shot. And uh, initially I, I felt like, oh, I'm I'm sort of better at this instantly than I feel like I have any right to be. Um, (laughs) And then I started to feel like, you know, if I start recording this, I can probably make a funny Instagram video out of this. Uh, So I posted a story of me just hitting all of these bullseyes consecutively. And I honestly thought that no one was going to like it. (laughs) I thought all my friends were going to be mad and just like, what are you doing? Why are you posting this? But it was one of the one of the most instantly. I had probably had like forty or fifty responses from people I hadn't talked to in a very long time who were very interested and and as you said, concerned in some cases. Because <laughs> um, it's it's yeah, it's a lot of just like larger axes as well. You weren't just throwing like little tiny ones. There was some like overhand stuff. There was couple of small knives and things yes. as well like well this place is a little more freewheeling than uh, the place i've been to since they have uh yeah axes knives ninja stars you can oh throw a, a metal playing card and pretend you're in the x-men there's a uh, a rage room where you can pay twenty dollars to destroy a couch with a samurai sword if that's something you'd be interested in or, or, or like break a bottle for a dollar. The, the one place I've been a, a, a since is uh, much more formal. 
than uh, than, oh, that, than, than that place was. But but the but the fact that I was there as part of a celebration explains like the button down shirt and the the like slacks and the uh, dress shoes. <laughs> oh, thank goodness, because it, it seemed yeah. a very formal <laughs> yeah. formal get up for yeah, uh, right. something quite uh, quite yes. deadly. Yes, yes, I agree. I, I follow, I've been following you for a while, and, and seeing that was sort of a bit of a a, sh- a shot in the arm, being like, uh, okay, fair yeah, enough. What's going on? Yeah. Uh, from there, they opened a place in LA called LA Axe, uh, which is another pun. I guess that's the I, that that probably is the trend in uh, axe throwing establishments. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> this place opened here in in LA, and uh, I started getting these messages, and I went and uh, just kind of was like, well, I wonder if I'll still be good at this, and then. Uh, <clears throat> this uh, one of the staff members very quickly came up and said, you know, we do, we do leagues here and you should join a league. Uh, but the leagues had already started. Uh, and so I had to wait until until January. But until then, I still didn't know if it was all in my head. I kind of thought I thought I think I'm probably better than average at this. But I honestly thought that I had sort of uh, <laughs> done it in editing a little bit. You know what I mean? Like I kind of <laughs> thought this is funny. It's almost like a uh, like I'm doing a magic trick. I'm making it seem like I'm amazing at axe throwing, you know, cutting out anytime I don't get a bullseye and making sure I use anytime I get it consecutively. And then once I went to this place that is very like regulation, they're in the National Axe and Tomahawk Federation. I think that's what NATF stands for. Um, and then I thought, okay, well, maybe I am actually do have a talent at this thing that I thought I was kidding at initially. <laughs> It's uh, it's certainly very unique, that's yes. for sure. Um, yes, and, it's and a very, very interesting way to start. But um, <laughs> of course, creatively, creatively, um, I guess your current uh, well project is uh, well part director of uh, Mister Student Body President, um, a show yes. that in America you can find on which programs? Uh, none. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was on it was on a Verizon platform called Go Ninety. Um, which mm-hmm. got uh, Verizon pulled the plug on. But we did that on Go90, which was this video platform uh, for about two years. Yeah, it may be resold elsewhere, but currently it's not viewable anywhere. Okay, so you don't have any plans to probably bring that to another viewing platform? It could happen, yeah. I mean, it's not. It's uh, the studio. It was a company called New Form Digital, and, uh, you know, it's it's they have the rights to it, so they may resell it elsewhere. Oh, that's a, a bit of a bummer because we were going to be talking a little bit about that uh, a little bit later on in the podcast. But um, Oh, we can still, I guess we now, can still do that. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, at some point because it was, it was an experience. Um, yeah. But let's – I guess we'll start – I guess essentially right at the beginning because when I first came into contact with you, you were living in New York and that's when you yeah. were sort of doing a bit of work with the internet sort of sketch comedy group Poink Pack. Uh, right. But I wanted to go even a little bit before that to when you were in high school because you weren't you weren't born in New York, were you? No, I'm from North Carolina. Okay. And when you were at high school, did you do – were you sort of – interested in the same sort of things was it writing directing were you more in front of a camera or were you more sort of behind it it was uh, honestly a lot of both I think I I realized early on what I wanted to ultimately be doing so I tried to I 
tried to get involved in uh, the TV productions class. I uh, acted in plays. I I ended up getting on student council just because I was like, well, I saw people when I was a freshman, I saw people doing funny speeches in front of the the class. And I thought, well, I can, I think I can do that. And uh, so at the end of my sophomore year, I got on student council and then ended up getting my senior year. I was student body president, which caused problems with the uh, film stuff that I wanted to be doing because the, it conflicted first period was, Mm. was, was student government and it was also TV productions. So I was, I was kind of ended up sort of able to do double duty kind of because the president would sometimes go upstairs to the TV production studio and do an address. So I kind of got to do both. Oh, right. But, but I think anything that involved writing or performance or getting to craft any, any creative work. I was also in art, art class and was just kind of throwing myself into every, I don't know, any, every creative avenue that I could. Um, I just, not that different from now was kind of trying to do a lot of different things and, and, Mm. and, you know, attempting to, to kind of um, have a broad array of interests versus, versus uh, just, just one or, or being too, too specific or particular. So when you obviously graduated high school and then you moved to university, obviously you obviously have to try and figure out a major and or a major and minor and be a little bit more specific with your field. What did you go through there? Yeah, I really wasn't looking too far ahead in terms of, of college because I didn't, all I knew is that I wanted to, um, to be involved in, uh, in writing or directing in some capacity. And I had, I had no clue how to get from A to B. And uh, Mm -hmm. I knew that there was a film school in my home state, North Carolina. I didn't really have any other ideas. So I basically only applied there and was just kind of putting it all on that one shot because I didn't have any other ideas. Um, I I knew that I couldn't afford to go out of state. And it was the only film school in state. So I just that was the only thing that I could think of to do. If I hadn't gotten in, I probably would have moved to New York four years earlier and just started crewing or something like that. But, uh, mm. but yeah, so I applied there and, um, and ended up going to North Carolina School of the Arts, uh, which is now called University of North Carolina School of the Arts. They renamed it after I graduated. But when I was going there, they had, uh, you know, the people we looked up to were David Gordon Green and Danny McBride and Jody Hill, who hadn't quite made the dent that they have now. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, but we we knew David Gordon Green had had uh, had indie film success, but uh, the other guys were really sort of unknown at that time. Uh, but we would check out their uh, short films from the archive and and watch mm. them. Danny McBride had a great uh, fourth year film that if I try to say the name, I'll botch it. It's it's something like this morning that night or something like that. <laughs> I, I bet okay. I bet that's I bet that's completely wrong. Um, we'll have to try and hunt that one down if it's. I don't know if that's yeah. av- I don't know if that's available anywhere, but um, but I th- I remember it being I think it's a high school comedy, um, that was excellent because he was a directing major there, mm. and yeah, so so then when the Foot Fist Way came out. Or actually, in all the real girls, when which Danny McBride acted in, I saw that and I went, "This guy is gonna be—he could be like a comedy star. He could be a comedy actor." 
he's just like hit the director's buddy, but there's, this guy has something. And then they put out the foot fist way and then just kind of everything took off from them for them. I was going to say, yeah, little did we know he was going to be, uh, he was going to reach those heights. Yes. And so people who go to school, of the arts now, I mean, I'm sure there are posters of, of everything those guys have done everywhere I would guess. But at that time that I went there, the school was so new that there really weren't any role models apart from David Gordon Green because uh, the only graduating classes that the school had were were sort of still getting their bearings out in the world. Okay. Well, I guess you've obviously gone through that and you've found, I guess, an avenue for yourself to, I guess, hone your craft and you've, you've now graduated from that school. Is this the point where you now move to New York? Yeah, I instantly moved to New York. And uh, again, I kind of only had one idea, which is when I was a teenager, I used to watch uh, The State on MTV, which was a sketch comedy group. And I just knew that they were, you know, (laughs) they were young people in their 20s doing sketch comedy. And I I think a lot of other people I knew looked up to these guys, Michael Ian Black, Michael Showalter, Thomas Lennon, Ken Marino, and and, and everybody who was in the state. Yeah. And um, so I I moved to New York, and uh, Maggie Ross, who ended up being in Poik Pack, which was our group, um, she moved up around the same time. And there had been this kind of thing in the air of, of starting a group. Um, with some school of the arts people and some some uh, tangential friends, and so um, yeah, that took that took maybe about six months to come together for us to finally kind of pull together our first meeting. Um, but uh, yeah, once we had everybody together, we kind of hit the ground running. And YouTube was yeah. pretty pretty new at the time, so we just started making stuff and putting it up. Yeah, because I was I was gonna literally ask about the the foundations of Poik Pack. Um, the yeah. first one really being the name. Um, oh man, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, how does that come together? Um, by mistake. <laughs> um, I don't know. Not 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 through any sense of uh, logic or good sense. I'll tell you that much. Um, <laughs> it also kind of like represents our 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 naivete at the time because you know there wasn't really such a thing as as a digital sketch comedy group at least in terms of the the cultural consciousness um Mm -hmm. the lonely island had a website that that was pretty well trafficked amongst comedy fans um but there wasn't i mean since youtube didn't exist until 2005 um you know, we weren't thinking about the fact that people were going to have to be Googling this name that's impossible to spell, let alone pronounce. Yeah. So I think it felt like a, the punk rock choice at the time to choose a, a name that bad, but it was a perennial obstacle uh, for the entire lifespan of that group. Um, yeah. How the name came about, my only memory of it was, and, and, I, and I will bet you that other members of the group will have a different recollection of this. Um, so don't take this as fact. Um, but there was a point at the group where I, we had like 12 members or 17 members. There were a lot of people. My memory of the first meetings was just wall to wall yelling, just everyone yelling ideas it was in this basement apartment in Bushwick, too many people. And we couldn't come up. We couldn't agree on a name. We went through 
probably 200 options. Tage, uh, who you are probably familiar with, he really wanted uh, the group to be called And Friends. And my argument was that that was going to be really confusing anytime we appeared on like a co-bill with anyone else. Like if it was Murder Fist yeah. and Friends, like it's very nonspecific. Which again, yeah. to him, he was like, yeah, that's why it's funny. <laughs> um, so yeah, we were just out to sabotage ourselves from the beginning. And after this one very long meeting, uh, this guy named Paul Witte said, uh, what about Poik Pack? Pictures of your kids pooping and crying. And everyone <laughs> oh laughed. God. And it was the only thing that everyone had laughed at. And so it was sort of like a laugh that devolved into sort of this resigned sigh. Like, ah, well, I guess that's it. Uh, and we had I'll, so- never, I'll never look at that title the same way again. Yes, you can't. Um, and, and there were people that I didn't even realize were not at that meeting because I remember someone showing up to the next one, having seen the MySpace page we created and going, what's that pokey paw thing? And I was like, oh, that's, that's the group. <laughs> that's the name. And he was like, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, so goodness. yeah, it apparently was not unanimous because everyone wasn't there. But, uh, yeah, I would, I would argue, uh, one of the worst decisions we ever made uh, it's memorable only in that you remember that it was, you know, you saw a video from a group whose name you can't remember. So in that sense, it's effective. Well, it's 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 certainly been effective because, uh, well, there's been a, quite a couple of videos that you guys have, have managed to make, which I guess sort of broke through. Um, sure. Yeah. For lack of a better term. Um, obviously, the, the most obvious one was Mario Game Over. Right. Um, which garnered, I think, to this day, has about 67 million views which at that early time of youtube is almost unheard of something like Um, that yeah it's some it's something like that now um i remember it got a million in the first weekend uh and that was definitely the most we had had and the story the story behind that video in particular is it's an it it was a dumb idea i had when i was 14 i kind of thought and, and this is going to sound like the hackiest comedy idea ever, but in 2007, this was a novel idea, I guess, still. But, uh, but that was, let me see, how old was I when, I, when, we, when we shot the video? I was 22 or 23. Uh, so I had this idea when I was 14. Mario, he's, he's addicted to mushrooms. And, and when he eats a star, he flashes and it's, it's like drugs, guys. You get it. And, and I was like, and I thought this, this could be a comedy video, but I didn't have the means to make something like that when I was 14. So, but it stuck with me. And then once this group formed, we shot the video, uh, we shot it in 2006. I sat on it because I just thought this was a failure. Once, once I had it cut together, I thought it just didn't work. And so I sat on it for probably a year. And just didn't put it up. And then finally I thought, okay, well, maybe if we shoot a scene with Luigi uh, talking to the princess on the phone, that'll kind of help bring it together, make it feel like more of a story. I don't know. Mm. So we did that, put it up, and then it just sort of instantly started getting traction. It was on the front page of MySpace. It was from the front page of YouTube when when that was a bigger deal because at that time – 
there wasn't this endless aggregation of content. If you were on the front yeah. page of YouTube, you were the video on the front page of YouTube yeah. for the entire day. You're just sitting there and then maybe four or five hours later, a new video would get put there and you'd be number two. You know, you'd be second on this list on the main page. Mm-hmm. But it was a very, it was sort of, I almost think of it like that day was sort of like, uh, in that thing you do, I don't know if you've seen that movie, but everyone's hearing their song on the radio. It felt that way. It felt yeah. everyone calling you and, and having seen your video and just sort of everyone you know is contacting you. I don't know if that quite happens anymore because there is so much content and there is so much to see and everyone, it's so compartmentalized. Mm-hmm. The, the landscape, I guess, is, is so fragmented now. But, you know, at that time, it was possible to be the one video that America was talking about that day. And it's, so that's been an, an interesting. Oh, sorry, you go. No, no, no. That, so I was just going to say that happened on that video um, first. Yeah, because I was going to say there's there's been, well, a number of videos that you guys had, had sort of tasted, I guess, not as to that level as Mario Game Over, there was a, quite a couple that had hit some very interesting highs and, and really sort of pushed you guys more into that sort of, that up and coming sort of frame that people were sort of taking notice um, of the group. Was there a, a point where people were sort of contacting you about sort of either collaborations or roles for different things? When was it, when did When did that point hit where the team was sort of finding um, new avenues for things? I would say so that when that video went up in May 2007, and then in July we put up this video called Hipster Olympics, which again, if you if you, it, it sound if you just read the premise, it sounds like the hackiest comedy sketch ever. Um, just a comedy sketch making fun of hipsters. Uh, yeah. At that time, uh, it was. I'm not, I'm not going to say it was the it was a fresh idea because I remember when we went out to shoot Hipster Olympics, we saw a New York magazine cover that said "Why the Hipster Must Die" or something like that, and we went, "Oh no, this is over. This whole thing, making fun of hipsters, is done." You know, um, but we were wrong, and when we put up that video, which is very long, it's it's like a nine minute nine and a half minute video at that time i think youtube videos could only be 10 minutes it's like a nine and a half minute video and i remember a friend of mine yeah. telling me a nine and a half minute video will never go viral he was very adamant about that but for whatever reason um it blew up that video really blew up as well we got um you know college humor reached out to us then ifc and IFC called us in, and this is before Portlandia. If we were smarter, we would have kind of seen what they were asking us to do because they kept saying, but what about this hipster thing? We would throw ideas at them and they'd go, but what about yeah. this hipster thing? Is that done? And we'd go, no, no, we did that. We, yeah, yeah, we did that. <laughs> we're, no, we have other ideas. It was the same thing with the Mario video. We went, well, we're not going to be those people that make video game sketches. Now there's people making millions of dollars making video game sketches alone. Like that's it. That's all they yeah. do is they do video game parodies on YouTube and they're millionaires. So the moral of the story, and I think the moral of a lot of these stories is going to be that we were morons um, <laughs> who just should have been one trick ponies, but we thought we were, I don't know. We thought that, yeah, variety was the spice of life. We were on. Well, it's, it certainly worked well in in the long run, that's for sure. Yeah, um, well, maybe. 
but but it's <laughs> but but if but IFC who who greenlit this web series, you know, in hindsight, all they wanted was for us to to kind of take Hempster Olympics and turn it into a show. And I think, and I would say that is a lesson that I was too young at the time to really pick up on is people a lot of times will tell you what they want from you. They'll tell you what they think you're good at, especially in the beginning. It's not a bad thing to lean into what other people are telling you that you do well, as opposed to saying, no, 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 forget that. Watch me do, watch me do something completely different. And they go, well, it was hard enough to get my attention with the first thing, you know? So I think we should have, yeah, anyway, I think that's a good, that's a good lesson. Uh, that's yeah, not to say yeah. that if we had pitched Portlandia that they would have greenlit it because without Fred Armisen and Lauren Michaels, like that show probably doesn't get made, but it was yeah. in the air what they wanted to make. So when that show came yeah. out, I went, ah, that's what they were asking us to pitch. <laughs> you guys had been sort of working these opportunities and really um, finding new avenues and, and new ways to sort of express yourselves creatively, but you were obviously working other jobs at this time, correct? Yeah, I, everybody was. Um, there was a point where I think we were in the, we were one of the earlier uh, YouTube partners. And so some uh, revenue started coming in, but it, it certainly wasn't enough to support five people. Mm. And so everybody was working some job or another. Yeah. Was it, was it more just like, uh, you know, working a desk job or something, or was it still very related to that sort of creative field? I've always kind of felt like if you can make the thing you do, uh, the closer you can get the thing that you're doing to pay the rent uh, to to what you ultimately want to do, the better. So even if you're editing on a small scale or directing on a small scale, if that's what you ultimately want to do, then you're still honing the right tools. And so that was a lot of what at least Tage or I were doing is uh, just kind of being guns for hire in the in the New York digital world, especially the the comedy world, mm. we would just kind of take whatever job came along. Um, mm. And Jen, who's who's an actor by trade, was doing a lot of plays and Broadway and stuff like that. Oh, okay. So it, there was obviously a very broad like selection of skills or differing ideas and things in the group. Did that obviously make because we've obviously heard how your first couple of meetings went for the group did that make sort of meetings for different videos a challenging experience no i think it's generally i think it's you know diversity of, of opinion is is almost always a good thing and people having different perspectives the only trouble we ever ran into is if you're in a meeting with someone that just doesn't connect on a fundamental level you don't even have an agreement really on what a script looks like or what a joke is, <laughs> um, which can happen. But uh, provided you meet sort of the, a, a baseline of um, functional compatibility, uh, yeah, I think, I, I think as many um, opinions as you can get. I mean, I'm someone who I'll take a, I'll take a pitch from the boom operator if it's a good idea. Mm. Um, I don't care. I don't, I think in, especially in comedy, there's no ego in the sense that it doesn't matter where an idea came from. Everyone's trying to contribute to the larger whole. And if you're directing it, you have to, 
you have to make the final call. But you know, every every director, your job is uh, to juggle a hundred different decisions and sort of cross-reference all these different inputs and come out with one uh, vision or output that uh, is is communi- communicable to everybody else. Um, mm. And and it's challenging, but I'm I'm someone that I just yeah I love I, I genuinely love collaboration and I I think the more the more cooks in the kitchen, uh, the better within reason. Yeah, I was I was interested um, I was interested obviously because you did talk about collaboration, the one obviously yeah. between you and your Poikpak colleague Tage Jensen. Yeah. The big one was uh, coloring for grownups, um, which you released. Would have been about six or seven years ago now, I believe. Yeah, the first one came out in 2012, I think, just sort of right at the at the early stage of the of the uh, adult coloring book renaissance <laughs> that ended up happening uh, for for better or worse. How did how does that happen? Like, I you've obviously been more of a you know a screen sort of person, directing, acting, and so on, and how does Ryan Hunter and Tage Jensen go from that to creating designs for what is essentially a kids slash grown up book? Uh, well, we had done, uh, we did this video um, that I think is called the Holy Gospel of the Easter Rabbit. Uh, I think, or that's close to what the title is. Is it was kind of an animated uh, storybook retelling of the animal messiah uh, fo- centering around the Easter bunny, uh, sort of playing that role and saving animal kind and, and whatnot. I, I, and we got an email from this literary agent who said, uh, I noticed that writing is a strong component of your work. Uh, have you ever considered doing a book? And so we met with her and we just kind of, threw out whatever ideas we had. One of them was a coloring book for adults, a humor book, um, but one that was sort of formatted in the style of a coloring book. And we were very adamant, like the paper has to be cheap. (laughs) You know, it can't be good paper. (laughs) It has to be, it has to be like kind of crappy newsprint uh, or it won't feel like a coloring book. And she, she honed in on that and um, said, you guys should, do five sample pages and I can sell that. And for whatever reason, a year went by uh, and I said, either Tage or I said to the other, you know, we should probably do that thing that our literary agent asked us to do a year ago. And so we did it. We drew up five pages. And by the time we sent it over to her, she was no longer a literary agent. She had like retired or had gone back to school, uh, but she she connected us with um, her former partner who had bought her out, and uh, he took it to uh, different publishers and sold the book to Penguin. At which point, we uh, yeah started work on sixty pages of art uh, for this adult. Uh, or I mean, I, I hesitate to call it an adult coloring book because that <laughs> has many different connotations. Yeah. Uh, but it was, you know, our 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 take was it's a humor book first uh, and, and a coloring book second. Um, yeah, and yeah, it's it's certainly been a well an interesting ride um, for you after that. Um, I should point out, uh, 
Well, after those those books, you I, I heard you went to uh, work at The Onion, correct? I was a um, – this is when – there was sort of a transitional period when The Onion was uh, relocating from New York to Chicago. They had had their business offices in Chicago mm-hmm. and their creative office in New York and – there was a point where the business people were sort of like, why are we, why are we paying for two office spaces? Let's just force (laughs) all the creatives to move to Chicago. And um, so there was this sort of brief window in time where there was sort of one team uh, still creating video content in New York. And uh, they, this was honestly one of those bill paying gigs. Uh, They hired me as uh, lead editor on a couple of their uh, series, the last ones done in New York. But yeah, I think I was the the last uh, person employed in New York by The Onion, uh, at least at that time, because I literally packed up computers and like dropped them off at FedEx and mailed them to Chicago. And that was the end. Oh wow! Um, okay, <laughs> that that at least was the end of of the Onion's New York chapter. Well, it seems like it was almost a bit of a an end of the New York chapter for yourself because I think the next sort of chapter that we have to talk about is your move literally across the country to uh, to Los Angeles, which is where you yeah. live now. Correct? Yeah, that's right. Um, so uh, there was a there was a woman named Kathleen Grace who I had uh, crossed paths with in um, in in our YouTube days, and uh, she had created this web series called The Berg, and which was sort of an early kind of comedic web series, and it it made fun of hipsters in Williamsburg, and it came out around the same time as Hipster Olympics, and. Uh, I made the stupid mistake of accidentally saying something disparaging about it in a local media outlet uh, because (laughs) this reporter asked me what I thought of it. And I said, well, I haven't really seen it. So strictly speaking off the record. (laughs) And then I said a mildly disparaging comment that ended up being printed and uh, Kathleen Grace hated me for a couple years. Uh, apparently, I, I I found out later <laughs> until I met her at a party and someone connect said, "Hey, oh, Ryan does uh, internet content too," and I could see it registering on her face who I was, and she went, "You," and I said, "I can explain. I'm so sorry." Oh <laughs> and you know they yeah uh, she ended up um, becoming um, the CEO of uh, Newform Digital, which is this company that Ron Howard and Brian Grazer had created to make digital content. So she was the CEO of this studio. And uh, I'm very fortunate that I did make amends with her because she said, uh, do you want to um, pitch on this uh, new form incubator? They were going to basically give 14 YouTubers, uh, I think $10,000 to make a short and then try to sell those shorts as series. So while I was still in New York, I made a Mr. Soon by President short. My my pitch was basically uh, a house of cards in a high school student council. Just yeah. a Soon by President who kind of, as I did in high school, took high school politics way too seriously. Uh, you know, sort of keying into the, the way that a lot of high schoolers 
behave as if their high school is the entire world because to them it is. Uh, yeah. You know, your biggest problem feels life or death no matter who you are. So that was sort of the premise. They greenlit a, uh, a short. And I just remember this one day where I woke up and had $10,000 in my bank account. And that's how I found out we were making it. I was like, oh, I guess now I have to make this thing. Oh All right. I guess we'll go. I guess I'll hire a producer. The, and, um, um, yeah. the, the one thing I quickly wanted to, to touch on was um, obviously having been in, in a, a couple of film and TV classes and, and um, with it being part of my diploma myself, mm-hmm. I've been taught quite a lot about the art of the pitch. Um, mm. and this is something that I've never really had the chance to talk to someone about because I've never, mm-hmm. never really known someone who's, who's worked in this sort of field before. Mm-hmm. What goes into an actual pitch? That's a really good question. Uh, it, it, it really can vary a lot. And there, there's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of cases where, uh, I was pitching something in the room. There's a lot of cases where, I was pitching somewhere over the phone. There's a lot of cases where it was just a document. Um, in the case of, of this example with the Mr. by President short, it really was, I think, an email. And then they said, sure, go make the short. And then once the short was made, the new form people took it and they went out and they handled the pitching to uh, Verizon. And so... I was kind of oh. finding out from them. Oh, by the way, we sold your show to Verizon. I went, oh, great. <laughs> Whatever executive was in charge of uh, of pitching this to Verizon obviously did a good job with it. And I, and I probably, you know, you don't always want neurotic creatives dealing with the business people if possible. Yeah. But yeah. I do it when I have to. It's not, I, it's certainly not my favorite part of this industry. Mm. Um, although I certainly prefer uh, being face to face over talking to, to them over the phone just because you know you're, you're missing out on so much information yeah by, by not being there well it's, it clearly seems like it uh it worked out in the long run because the show was seemingly quite successful um you guys have picked up quite a couple of uh well, a couple of streamy awards yeah. one yourself for uh for directing i believe yes that's right it must have just been and obviously we had talked about it at the start um with the future of the show a little bit uncertain it must it must have just been overall a very rewarding experience it was yeah certainly i mean it it um it was you know the only the closest thing i'd gotten to do with it uh the, the closest thing i'd gotten was this this ifc web series that we had gotten to do where it was sort of show running maybe two hours of a show in total and uh collectively all four seasons of Mr. Sue, my president amount to about seven hours. So it's, it's a much bigger step towards what I want to do ultimately, which is uh, show run a, a, a TV show um, mm. or, or be head writer or direct. I kind of enjoy them all in different ways, but show running allows you to kind of keep your, your finger in every, Department that you want, you're sort of in, you're involved in the directing and the writing and the casting and the editing, which is kind of what I feel suited for. Is mm. I feel most suited for getting to at least oversee in some capacity uh, from a sort of a, a wider vantage point versus playing just one specific role. Yeah, well, I Although, guess, uh, you know, but 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 again, uh, I mean, I, I I do enjoy just writing and just directing as well. It's just a different beast. Yeah, definitely. 
we should probably start finding the end of this journey, but I wanted to ask you, Ryan, a couple of questions that my main guest, well, my main host, Jono, usually asks all of his guests yes. uh, when they come onto the show. The first one is, for you personally, what's been the hardest part of getting to where you are currently right now? Um, I would say uh, finding uh, kind of what we touched on just in terms of, you know, juggling, paying the rent, uh, balancing that with, uh, with, with taking those bigger swings. It's very mm. easy to get sort of uh, trapped in a cycle where you're surviving but you're not, you don't have the bandwidth to take uh, those big swings that you need to take if you're going to uh, graduate to a different level. Mm. Yeah. And it's much easier to do that if you're not, if you're not having to focus on anything else. Yeah. I guess, uh, well, the second one is, and this is probably more uh, to pass on your, your information or your knowledge to people perhaps in your field. What is your advice to others who are perhaps trying to break into that directing or, or writing sort of field and, and who want to get to your position? Hmm, I don't know. What, do you, what kind of questions do you think they're grappling with specifically right now? Because I, I can't even imagine. It's just the, the digital landscape has changed so much from when I began and, and my advice it might even be a little bit dated. I mean, even dated advice is is good, but I think it's more or less people, especially even for me, it's 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 about trying to get their foot in the door, how to get noticed, how to right. find the, the new way of, of getting, you know, spotted by someone um, and how to sort of make that first impression, I guess. If I were starting out now, uh, I would probably... Uh I would probably be putting a lot of time and effort into uh, building a social media following on, you know, Patreon and Instagram. I would probably be on TikTok, <laughs> which I'm not, but but I but I probably would be. I would go to where um, I would go to where the audiences are and where the brands are and where you know where people are looking for uh, the next generation of talent. Uh, and the more that, whereas this infrastructure didn't really exist 10 years ago, uh, now you really can, you can carve out your own space in a very real way where you don't have to depend on anyone mm. and you can, you can make a living doing exactly what you want to do in a, in a way that you never have been able to do before. And you don't need permission from anyone else. And everyone is walking around with a video camera in their pocket, uh, more or less. So they're just the, the barriers, you know, everyone has, has editing equipment, uh, has access to editing software rather. Um, the barriers just aren't there in the way that they used to be. And that's not universally true, of course, but it's much more universally true than it ever has been. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty solid advice, to be honest. I wish I could have been given that uh, a couple of years ago. <laughs> um, the one last one I wanted to ask, and this is probably a bit more broad um, in a sure. sense and, and probably more, a bit more reflective for you, but in your field, if you could do anything and know that you wouldn't fail or you, you just physically wouldn't fail, if there's anything you could do in your field, what would you do? I'd like to take a swing at a at a at an indie feature that I wrote and get to direct, and uh, 
I would probably play some some part in it um, because I do I, I like acting for myself more than I like acting for other people or or mm. acting for my friends sometimes. But uh, but um, yeah, just something where I really felt like this is this is the most me final product I can pro- possibly make because I think that that's that is sort of ironically what people respond to. It's 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 not always the thing that's that's uh, sort of public facing or, or trying to uh, trying to please everybody. It's it's typically something that's really idiosyncratic and really personal that, that actually ends up connecting with people the most. So mm. and, and yeah and I and I would I would put that advice to, to anyone else as well. But uh, yeah that's something I feel like I haven't really done. I haven't really made something that I feel like is as personal as uh, what I what I could do or what, what I should be doing, what I think everyone should be doing. Mm, I think it's probably the, the best place to end up really. Cause you've, you've left it uh, quite open for, for not only yourself, but uh, for anyone trying to follow the same field as well. Sure. Um, but that does seem like it's uh, a good place to wrap up as well. Um, I must thank you, Ryan, for yeah, some thanks, one, wonderful insight um not only into just a creative sort of mind but someone who's been working their their backside off to to make it in that field not only in new york but in la as well um and just giving an insight into how difficult it is um to be a creative in this day and age yeah well ryan it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today and uh Hopefully, we'll get to chat more in the future. Hopefully, this isn't a one-time thing. Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate you taking the time. Well, thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast. My very big old great thanks to Ryan Hunter. You can follow him on Instagram at ryhunt, R-Y-H-U-N-T. And you can also see where the magic began on Poikpak's YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash poikpak. If you want to help support the show, the best way to do that is to chuck Put In Work a five-star review on iTunes. Or you can also donate on Patreon, patreon.com slash we are 8bit a-t-e-b-i-t and of course my truly huge thanks to john and peck for trusting me with his pride and joy it was so much fun to be on for this week uh, you can follow Jono on twitter at Jono himself and i'm also on twitter as well at it's tilby t-i-l-b-y but thanks again so much we'll see you again soon take care